community. It's become such a buzzword in the tech scene. Like most things, it's easier said than done. Much like a gardener taking care of an orchard of juicy vegetables and fruits, building, nurturing, and growing a thriving community takes a special kind of person and set of skills. One of those community building experts is Jay Klaus. He started working at Startup Weekend as an organizer, then the community created got acquired by Pat Plin's Smart Passive Income. Now he's the founder of Creator Science, a thriving community of professional creators that I'm actually part of as well. Today, Jay will be sharing the three elements of world-class community experience. If you Google community and look at the actual definitions, there are so many definitions. So one time I did it as an exercise. I looked at these different definitions and then I color-coded some of the same themes that are in different definitions. And in general, I think we can all agree that a community is a group of people who have a shared interest. Now where things diverge for different people is like, do those people need to have a shared space where they interact in a peer-to-peer -peer way? Or can it just be a community of people who love this brand but don't interact? I think either is valid um, because if you identify with an idea, if there's a group of people who identify with an idea, I would say that's a community. But for, for my work and in, in my business, I really focus on peer-to-peer -peer experiences in community where the value is both created from the people that are there and experienced by those people as well. In this Marketing Parks episode, you learn first, why community is not a broadcast channel. Second, the three main reasons why people join communities. Third, how to create a welcoming experience for new community members. And fourth, the one thing that's helped Jay excel as a professional creator. For each episode, I create a power-ups cheat sheet you can use to download, fill in, and apply the marketing concepts to your business right away. Go to marketingpowerups.com to get those right now. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing Power-Ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Ramley John. Let's jump in and talk about marketing power-ups. And one that we want to really dig into is uh, around building really world-class community experiences. But before we do, I'd love to just hear your story of how you got into community. I believe uh, what I've heard is it started in 2012 in a startup weekend. Uh, what is that story and how on how you like got into uh, building and creating and nurturing communities? Well, in 2012, I had a really basic idea for a mobile app and I didn't know how to get it developed. And I couldn't develop myself. So my young brain was like, well, I need money to hire a developer. And so I applied for a grant and they said, this is not what this grant is for, but here's a hundred dollars, go to startup weekend and pitch the idea there and maybe you'll get it made. And what a gift that was that this grant judging committee didn't just say no, they said no, but here's a place where we can get you on the right path. Huge gift. So I go to startup weekend and I pitch my ideas and I don't get a single vote. Nobody wants to help me build this thing. And I was literally walking out the door because I didn't know anybody there and I got no votes. I felt like, man, this was a bust. I have my backpack over my arm. I'm walking out the door and somebody behind me yells, hey, I liked your ideas. And I turn around and I've never met this person, but she was very kind. Her name was Susie. And she said, you should join my team. We're going to build this thing. And I said, amazing. And I stayed and I made friends. Susie began organizing the event later that year and asked if I would help her organize. So I started doing that. 
it was, um, you know, it's a free weekend. That's no, not free. There is a ticket cost, but it's a three day event over the course of a weekend. And you get so much out of it. It's, it's an incredible experience teaching you how to va- validate ideas, build prototypes, get customer feedback. And at the end of the day, you leave with relationships more than anything else. Cause we had over a hundred people that go to these events. And so organizing these, we organized three a year for a few years. And each event had over a hundred people. A lot of them knew you're getting, um, like local startup executives to come in and mentor and judge. So my network became pretty strong here locally. And then I would go to like the startup weekend, global organizer summits. And I would meet organizers that were people like me in different cities all over the world, like Toronto. And it was just amazing. I was like, holy crap. Like this is the best group of people that I've ever met. I wasn't using the term community much at the time as a new concept to me, but that's what it was. It was a, a global community of people who were generous with their time because they were volunteer organizing these things. And they cared about cool technology, cool software, startups, things like that. Nice. And then that kind of led you to you know, building out your own community with Unreal Collective, uh, got bought up by uh, Pat Flynn. And now you're, would you say you're an expert in community? I know it's kind of weird to be called an expert in something because even people call me, Ralph is the expert in onboarding. And I, I feel weird about that. But have, I'm, I'm sure a bunch of people call uh, say that about you. Part of me is like, be humble, say no. But then part of me is also like, no, step into it. I, I do think that I have a lot of experience with building community, both offline and online. And I think I do a good job of sharing that experience and packaging it. And I think it's worthwhile to people who want to learn it. So I would say that I, I'm good at this and I know it well, and I'm doing things differently than most people which I think is more valuable than anything else. Because even if you disagree with the way that I do things or you want to do them a different way, at least it's challenging you on your assumptions of how how to do things. I love that. I love that humble response <laughs> on its own. But you're just sharing what you're learning. And I really love that. We're actually going to be talking in a bit about you know the three things you found over and over again uh, that makes up world-class uh, community experiences. But before we do, the word community is so so loaded. Uh, we hear it in product-led companies where they do community, community-led growth is a new thing, or we heard we hear it with core-based courses. We hear community being thrown around with even CrossFit. Can you first of all uh, define what community is for you uh, and how you see it differently, maybe differently than other folks see it? If you Google community and look at the actual definitions, there are so many definitions. So one time I did it as an exercise. I looked at these different definitions and then I color coded some of the same themes that are in different definitions. And in general, I think we can all agree that a community is a group of people who have a shared interest. Now where things diverge for different people is like, do those people need to have a shared space where they interact in a peer to peer way? Or can it just be a community of people who love this brand, but don't interact? I think either is valid Um, because if you identify with an idea, if there's a group of people who identify with an idea, I would say that's a community. But for for my work and in my business, I really focus on peer to peer experiences in community where the value is both created from the people that are there and experienced by those people as well. It's not a broadcast relationship where it's just me to 200 people. It's actually meet those 200 people, but also those 200 people to, to the 200 people. They can communicate with each other. And I think that's the powerful benefit of having a community is that you become the bridge 
for two people who have this shared interest. And now you can actually build a relationship and they can transfer information and knowledge between each other. I think what's very clear as well with that definition is it's not necessarily about being a broadcast channel. You know, you're really about, you mentioned the bridge. Uh, other words I've heard you mention it is your curator, your aggregator, and you're really, uh, community is about connecting people together is what, what really what I'm hearing. You call it a peer-to-peer network and I love it because I come from a computer science background. Yes. It's like, oh, it's so visual. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, like a lot of people build an audience and they have this giant or small group of people who all have a shared interest, but they're all in these individual silos where they have a one-to-one relationship with you as the creator. But you have this opportunity when you've gathered all these people with a shared interest to now connect them and and give them new relationships, new perspectives, and new relationships. I think that's important. Now, like I mentioned, you've seen many communities like you, you know, you you worked at Startup Weekend with Pat Flynn for a sp- smart passive income. Now you have your own, uh, which uh, a plug is I'm part of uh, for people who are <laughs> part of Creator Science, uh, the lab community. But you've noticed, you've seen a pattern of like what world-class community experiences do. And you've seen three things that really those those community experiences do really well. Can you share those three? And then we, maybe we can dig into each one in a bit after. So I think about it in three ways. The first most important ingredient is a clear purpose. What is it that this community exists to do for people? Why should people join? What should they expect? If you don't have that, then you're really setting yourself for self up for failure right from the beginning. Second is strong onboarding. Because if I take the leap of faith and say, okay, that sounds like a purpose that I believe in and something that I want. Sounds like this community can help me. And I jump into that. You need to then take them by the hand and help people understand how do you realize that promise with the the, the thing that is this membership or this community, how do you actually interact with that to achieve the results that that is promising? And then the third thing is always optimizing for what I call a gratifying experience. A lot of people will talk about engagement in a community as kind of the goal, making sure that there's high engagement and people are making posts and comments and things. I think that's close to what we should be focusing on, but can also create some complications. More importantly is member happiness. Are they satisfied with when I put effort into this community that that was worthwhile? That's gratification. That's a gratifying experience. And you need to focus on your community providing that type of interaction for people. Let's dig, let's dig into each one. First, let's talk about purpose. Uh, I I also believe that you found patterns into like what, you know, the purpose, a core purpose of people who join communities. There are some things that, you know, come up over and over again as to why that is. What do you think those, what, you know, what is a good purpose for a community uh, that really is thriving? I'm evolving my thoughts on this in real time. So let me just think out loud a little bit. If you've ever heard of a jobs to be done framework, we hire products and experiences to do things, functional and emotional things for us. Most people don't think about what their community is being hired to do for the member. And if you don't define that up front, people will close that open loop in their mind with an assumption. And if they close that with an assumption, you don't necessarily know what that assumption is. So if you have people joining your community based on assumptions of what they're going to get out of it, what they're hiring your community to do, 
you don't know how to win with that person because you don't know what they expect. And so it can be a really bad relationship off the bat and uh, you'll likely experience churn and that is a bad thing for other members as well. So yeah, it's, it's challenging to win with your members if you don't know what their expectations are. That's why a purpose should be there. So what is the job that you're doing for people? I think it's helping them realize some better version of themselves, helping them accomplish some outcome, helping them navigate some journey. These all sound kind of ambiguous because there's a lot of space here for different types of purposes, but there should be some specific reason that people would hire your community. And it should make sense with the delivery mechanism that is an ongoing membership. If you can teach people how to uh, start their home garden through a one hour course, why don't you just do it in a course versus having an, uh, a monthly membership? You know, if you're going to have a membership to help people with their garden, what is the ongoing nature of what they need that makes an ongoing transaction make sense? So it should solve a clear purpose and it should fit the delivery mechanism that is ongoing. Job suite is actually a very product term and people usually job hire, you know, let's say a tool or, you know, a podcast mic or a mic to, to deliver something uh, of value and that value could be different based on who is using that, that tool. It could be a public speaker or a radio announcer or a podcast host. And really that's what you're getting at with this, where, you know, really getting to know your, your, your audience, your community, your community members and understanding why did they hire your community for it? And it could be just, they just want to feel like they belong. It's a lonely, it's a, it's a pretty lonely, uh, especially when, when things, people working from home, like they, they're looking for connection and uh, that it could be one of the reasons why they're just feeling lonely and they, they just want to feel connected with their people is, is, is what I'm hearing with this. I agree with that. I think, I think connecting you to like-minded people is table stakes at this stage of community. Now, maybe, maybe you have a pretty esoteric, rare shared interest that you're giving people a connective place that genuinely otherwise doesn't exist. But, you know, you, you and I have talked about this before, Romley, like marketing is a big world. So there are probably a lot of places online where people can connect with other people who broadly care about marketing. It's, it's not sufficient, like it's necessary, but not sufficient in any level of competitive landscape. Like you, you need to have even further fidelity on top of we're going to connect you to other people because like I said, it's, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient for most industries and, and niches because there, there are other places for me to get connection. Um, and if you are leaning on simply connection, then you better do an incredible job in the actual community experience of connecting people and not just leave it to them. So what I'm hearing, and especially with the jobs to be done framework, is that it's the, the key part to that is the transformation. And it's not just a transformation as a solo person. It's actually a transformation together as a group where we're elevating each other, essentially, where I elevate you. I don't know if that's the right word. I help you become better. You help me become better. And together yeah. we become better and we celebrate us becoming better, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Towards some common goal, you know, and, and, and sometimes communities play a huge role in simply accountability. You know, I, I recently spoke with the London Writers Salon 
And they're a community of writers where every day they have three Zoom calls per day that are open to their membership where people can just come in and spend an hour writing quietly alongside other people. It's a lot easier to remain focused and on task when you're in a Zoom window of other people being there. Uh, there's like some positive tension and accountability there. So it can play it can play like fairly simple roles like that, or it can be highly educational, you know, where it's like, hey, we're going to help you go from you've never spoken on stage before to now you're giving a keynote in front of 200 people. And we're going to take you along every step of that process. That could be a huge, like very specific educational experience based transformation. It's a huge spectrum, but there, there needs to be some specific purpose. Before we continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. When you're in scale-up mode, you have to hit your KPIs. The pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. It's a lot to handle. Demand gen, ABM, email sequences, revenue ops, and more. That's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamwork, Sprout Social and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your hardest marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of in-house, look no further. Go to 42agency, that's number 42agency.com to talk to a strategist to learn how you can build a high efficiency revenue engine now. Find the link in the description or show notes. Well, that's all for now. Let's jump back into this episode. The next second part to what you mentioned around elements of a world-class community experience is around onboarding. And I believe in a workshop that you gave, you said this is a big hole for a lot of communities. Uh, full disclosure, once again, I'm part of your community, the lab. I actually recorded it for myself. It's like, wow, this is a great experience. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm plugging your community in because it's one of the best ones I've seen in terms of onboarding. Can you walk through like how you, you intentionally thought about how you onboarded uh, new members to the lab uh, for people who are not part of it, for people who are or part of maybe just they might have uh it might have evolved. So can you yeah just walk through how you onboard people to to the lab? For sure. I, I started thinking about this. Well, I came at it from two directions. Before I built the membership, I was selling uh courses, like one-off courses that are pre-recorded, they're self-paced, you can enroll in them anytime and then get into them. And what I realized about courses, I'm guilty of this, a lot of course creators are guilty of this. We really optimize for everything up to the point of sale. But then after sale, course completion rates are very low. And what are we doing about that as course creators? Next to nothing. Because we've already extracted the value and we've given that person what we believe to be the value that they paid for. And so we kind of say, well, it's on you. I I think that's even, I think it's true in communities as well. But in communities where you aren't just like handing over the value, it's it's a little bit more difficult to realize the value in a community. Like it requires more work on the part of the individual. And with my background in in-person events and communities, I think to those times that I would go to in-person meetups and you'd usually drive across town. It might be a 15 or 20 minute commute. You walk into the door, you take the elevator, you open the doors to the room where the meetup is and you immediately start looking around for someone you know because it's uncomfortable. And you're like, I'm alone. I'm in a group of people. I feel awkward. I hope I can find someone here that I know that I can link to and feel more comfortable in the space immediately. In that discomfort, it's unlikely that you turn around and leave because you've already made the effort of going there. 
people have seen you. It's almost even more awkward to leave now. But online, we feel that discomfort when we get into a new online space all the time. And it's so easy to leave. There was no commute. There's no one knowing that you're there. You can click the red X and say, this is hard. I don't know how to use it. I'll try it again some other time and then never come back. That happens in online communities all so the time. So true. So I, I started asking myself, how do, like what great community experiences exist online or offline? And I thought a lot about fitness communities because when you go to a gym, you're often greeted very warmly. They will show you around the space. Uh, you've already built a, a connection then with at least that person that's showing you around who might be a friend or a roommate or somebody you already know, or it might be like the desk clerk. They show you like the different tools. They, they get you comfortable with the physical space, the tools that are within the space. They're introducing you to other people there. Like, hey, this is Karen. She's been coming to this gym for two years. She's amazing. If you ever need help with anything, talk to Karen. She shakes your hand. She gives you a hug. She says you're awesome. I wanted to try to emulate that in an online space as well. So in the lab onboarding, I wanted to make really, really clear how you use this thing. And then further, once you get into the community, I'm always trying to get better at how do I get you to have an interaction with a real person then and an easy way is for me to be that first person, you know, in our onboarding, step one is schedule a welcome call with me so that I can get to know you better. I can make uh, better recommendations of who to talk to, or I can introduce you to people, but at least you've now had an interaction with somebody in this community and it's been positive. But I also think about the question now, what a lot, like, if I go into anything, I will complete a task and I'll say, now what do I do? There's not a lot of people who are so self-guided that they just want to explore things anymore. Like they want to know how to do things right. We're very optimized. And most community onboarding experiences don't tell you what to do. They just say like, okay, here it is. You have it now. Okay, now what? What do I do? Some people will introduce themselves and they'll say, now what, what do I do? <laughs> so I, I just try to answer that question. Now what as many times as possible consecutively until you feel really comfortable with the space and you've built a relationship with somebody else in it. That's a really great way to put it. And I'm trying to recall back when, uh, and through the onboarding, I remember when we jumped on the welcome call, the now what you asked me, is like, Grammy, have you introduced yourself to the community? I said, not yet. You know, when you're comfortable, please introduce yourself and- <laughs> As soon as I introduced myself, I remember just seeing other people just say welcoming me in. I think that's a huge part from a community member's point of view is when other people welcome you, there goes back to that that core purpose of belonging and like, oh, you're trying to achieve, yeah, you know, build a creator business. And then everybody's like, oh, me too. <laughs> so now we're on a, a common goal. And just that initial connection. Uh, is uh, setting people up for success, essentially. So so glad to hear you say that, because that's like that's exactly what I'm trying to do for people. Now, you get to be at a point where you're a month or two in, and you've had some success, you've used it in some ways, but there are probably days where you're like, okay, now what? Now how do I use this? And I still need to get better and better at continuing to to give helpful, productive ways for you to continue to engage with this thing to get you further on that journey to becoming a professional creator. Um, it never really ends. Like the deeper you can allow sure. onboarding in your mind to go, like the structured experience, the better off you'll be. I love how you're putting this because I wrote a whole book on product onboarding. The onboarding experience actually sets up somebody for success for the long term. Like they're more likely to stick around rather than you mentioned earlier, if they don't know the now what, they're more likely to bounce out, especially in an online world. So 
Thank you for being thoughtful about this and talking yeah, more thanks. about this. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm probably preaching to the choir here. So <laughs> thanks for allowing me the space to share my perspective. I'm sure we, we believe a lot of the same things. I want to jump into the third part to world-class uh, communities that you've seen. It's around this gratification. And I feel like what you're really getting into here is this idea of measuring engagement. You know, usually, you know, when somebody is not in the, in the community world, they're like, oh, well, just measuring the number of messages you've seen on that space or Slack, you know, especially in the B2B or in the marketing world where communities are on Slack. It's like, oh, just count the number of messages on Slack and that's a good way to measure gratification. Can you talk a little bit about why that might be a terrible idea <laughs> or might be a, a, a counterproductive metric to measure? And what's a better way to measure community gratification or, or people gratification in a community? Well, I try to I try to optimize for member happiness. You know, like, am I happy that I'm here and that I made this investment and in the way that this serves me? And I think engagement came about because that was like our closest way we can measure happiness just based on the way the tool is used. Because it's hard to measure happiness. Like, how do you do that? It has to be self-reported. You can't measure that in analytics. So engagement is kind of like the closest, easiest thing we can get which means that a lot of people pay a lot of close attention to it. But it's incomplete because if I am somebody who's joining a community, I am likely pretty self-directed, I'm pretty driven, I'm ambitious because I'm taking actual steps to achieve a better version of myself. So I am susceptible to being given tasks and completing them. When people try to increase engagement, often what they'll do is They'll say, okay, we're going to have rituals now where we're going to like post a share your wins or share your goal for the week or do this thing, do that thing. I'm going to make a post to drive comments. And that can become homework to the type of person who would join a community. It feels like another thing on my to-do list that is serving the community's engagement goals, but is it serving my goal for why I joined this community? Maybe, but a lot of times it's not. So pushing towards engagement can actually create like low level underlying stress and extra work for somebody who's just trying to get to this outcome that I was promised. So that's how I think how I think about that. And and gratification is this idea that whatever level of effort or way that I'm showing up in this community, what however I'm doing that, I feel glad that I did. Some people join communities because they just want to be a fly on the wall and see what other people are saying and be uh, um, informed by the discussions there. Their activity is not captured in engagement metrics at all. Like maybe you see that they are not inactive, but if they're not making comments or, or posts, you might look at their engagement, quote unquote, and think that they are unhappy. But in fact, they could be very happy. They could be having an incredibly gratifying experience. So it's it's just something I'm aware of and try to structure the way that I ask people to show up in a way that's towards their goals and not my metrics. I believe in that workshop, you shared this story with SPI Pro with a mastermind and how that actually lowered engagement. Can you share that for the people who might not heard about this, this story? Yeah. When I was working at SPI, one thing that we thought we would try to do is facilitate mastermind groups or uh, help create mastermind groups within the community. The business that I had run previous to working with SPI was actually in personally facilitating mastermind groups. So I had a structure and a framework for how to do this. 
And the challenge was, can we do this in such a way that we don't require a staff member facilitating all of these conversations? And we did. We did. We did um, my approach to matchmaking of these groups, and we would put them into small groups, and they would self-direct and, and lead each other and meet on their own schedule. And when we did that, what we saw in our engagement metrics was that posts and comments and things went down. What we saw in our um, membership metrics, though, like our Stripe metrics, retention went up. So, you know, I think that retention in a paid community, especially, is a really good metric of member happiness. And ultimately, I think it's a much truer metric than engagement. So when we had that trade-off of higher retention, lower engagement, I said, hell yeah, I'll take that all day, every day. I love that. It goes against, uh, you know, the the things I usually heard, like, oh, just call the number of Slack message. But if they're finding just value reading through the comments uh, and they're actually happy, you mentioned the word, you know, they're actually delighted by reading the the responses by other people, then your community is actually a success to them rather than, oh, we're failing <laughs> with that right. specifically. Well, thank you for sharing this three. Uh, it's quite interesting how all of this relate to products to SaaS products specifically like around onboarding and measuring happiness of users and retention is the the most uh the greatest measure of success if they're w- willing to come back for more i want to actually shift gears now and talk about career specifically for you you've been in community space and startup space for over 10 years now what's something that's helped you i call it a career power what's something that's helped you ad- advance in your career or accelerate uh, to your, uh, you know, through, through your professional uh, career. I have a, a working theory right now that maybe the, the best driver of success or even predictor of success is belief, like belief that you can achieve the thing that you want to achieve. It's, it, it's like confidence in a lot of ways, but it, it seems deeper than that. Um, yeah, it's it's hard for me to even like articulate what I mean by belief, but I think I think you can you can feel it because you know we we have these these stories that become great documentaries like the Anna Delvey scandal or the WeWork founder or Elizabeth Holmes, and we look at this and we're like, how could this person possibly achieve these things and be such a fraud? Answer is they believe that they could, and there are people who believe that they could do all kinds of things for good reasons and do it all the time. But like time and time again, when I see people that have achieved the results that I aspire to achieve, what I realize is they just believe that they could do it. And when you believe that you can do it, you will take the actions and the steps necessary to get there because you believe that you can. And this is obviously the way to do that. I think a lot of times we have goals, but we don't always have genuine belief. You know, we, we, hope for the best, but there's a part of us that's just like on our conscious, like, I can't do this. It'll never work. It'll never be me. So all this is a roundabout way of answering your question that there have been times in my life where I've had goals and ambition, but I didn't have that belief. And the thing that really helped me was people around me who saw in me the potential and gave me their belief in me. You know what I mean? They've like, they like say like, I can see you're going to accomplish really great things or it's so inspiring to watch what you're able to do. They're able to see things in me that I don't always see. So sometimes I've been able to 
generate self-belief based on the belief that I was given from others. That's so powerful. I believe there are several people in your in your podcast. You have, uh, for people who don't know, um, Jay has a podcast called Creative Elements. And Miss Excel talked about this. And also Casey Morris, uh, the, the teacher, where they talked a lot about how uh, having this mindset, and they even, I, I believe, Miss, I, I don't need, uh, Miss Excel hired a coach to help him, her with her, her mindset, uh, making sure she, she believes it. So that's a really interesting thing that often the most limiting thing to us is our own belief and our ability to accomplish it. That's what I'm hearing. I, I think it's absolutely true. Um, and it's a hard thing. It's not like a switch you can just flip on or a jacket that you can, you can put on, but it is something to strive towards. And, you know, I think, I think belief comes from evidence, like seeing signs that, you know, point to the fact that you're on the right track and that you can do this. Um, but it's a, it's a hard thing to just pick up, but if you're aware of it as something that you need, I think it begins to get easier to work towards it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. It's making me think about a lot of things. Actually, I want to, another related question to this is. If you can give yourself, uh, young, your younger self, an advice, you know, when if you can travel back in time, to and send a message through time to a ten, ten, a ten year old, ten years ago when Jay was younger, uh, what would be an advice you would give yourself, that person starting out in startups and communities uh, and, and everything else? I have two things, but they're often like really closely related. Um, it's doing the hard things and asking for what you want. I've also experienced time and time again, like if you will ask for the outcome that you want to a person who has the power to help you have it, achieve it, you give yourself a really good chance of getting it. Like there are so many people who uh, get things that we want just because they ask for it and they know who to ask, but it's awkward to ask. You get, you feel self-conscious. You think, who am I to ask for that? But the act of not asking almost sends the signal to the person that you don't want it. They don't know that you do want it. They won't give it to you if they don't know that you want it. Um, and the other side of that, like I said, is doing the hard things. Often asking feels hard. That's why we don't do it. It feels like a hard, vulnerable, risky thing to do. Um, but there are, there are just, I, I'm tuning in more and more to the, the times in my day-to-day life where I know I need to have a difficult conversation for some reason or another with somebody else. And that feels hard. That feels difficult. And so I don't do it. And so the circumstances don't change. They don't get better. Oftentimes, like the the things that we want are on the other side of difficult conversations. You got to be willing to have them. Uh, and I wish I would have had that realization earlier because I would have asked for things earlier. I would have had more difficult conversations earlier and I'd probably accelerated my path in a lot of ways. I know this is not something I ask you uh, in the questions I sent beforehand. Is there any specific thing that you, any specific example of that where uh, asking uh, a hard thing would have helped or if you've done it earlier? Uh, you could be around you know, asking for a raise or asking uh, to, to do something else uh, in, your, in your past. The raise is a good example. You know, there, there, there are big, there are big asks and there are small asks. The raise is a really good example of like a very obvious, clear, big ask and, and other smaller ways. Like I've heard Ramit Sethi, Ramit Sethi talk about this in like financial world. Sometimes you just call your bank and ask them to waive this fee or give you a better rate or like negotiating. Like if you don't ask for those things, it doesn't happen. Like the default happens. 
um, I lost my luggage on my honeymoon several months ago. No. And the process, I got it back, but oh. uh, I had to buy new clothes while on my honeymoon because all my clothes were lost. And the it, it was a miserable experience. The process for getting reimbursed for that, the airline is liable for it. And so was my credit card company because they have this stated uh, benefit of their credit card. Like, hey, we reimburse you for situations like this. But they make the process so ridiculous to actually redeem that or realize that on purpose because they know most people won't bring it up, won't ask, and so they won't have to give in. They'll just make it purposefully difficult. So after like six months of dealing with this, I finally stopped playing like as nice as I was. And I said, let me speak to a manager. And I spoke to a manager and then that person escalated me to a person in a literal department who has a full-time job dealing with people who are willing to make the ask to say, let me talk to, I forget her title. It was like a, it was like reviewer or something, you know, like they literally have the title of like, I will make judgment calls in situations where this person doesn't meet all of our ridiculous criteria. And I could have done that four months ago. You know, and and close the book on this. Stop thinking about it. Other people will make offers to help you in certain ways. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, so generous. I can't believe they did that. And then we'll still like be hesitant to take them up on it. You know, we'll be hesitant to circle back a month later and say, hey, you mentioned that you would help me on this. Here is that, you know, will you send my resume in? Will you send in this thing? Will you put in a good word? Will you share this thing that I made? Because we feel like we're imposing. But if they offered... Let them do the thing, you know, like give them that opportunity. It, it sounds hilarious that we don't do that, but like it happens so often. I hope you got as much from this episode as I did. I especially love that one of the elements of world-class community experiences is something near and dear to my heart, onboarding. You can find out more about J. Klaus and his work by subscribing to his newsletter, Creator Science at creatorscience.com. You can also check out his podcast, Creative Elements, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And you can follow him on LinkedIn and Twitter. Find all of those links of his work on the show notes and in the description. Thanks to Jay for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter that I send out each week. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers from each episode. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the five best marketing frameworks the top marketers use to hit their KPS consistently and wow their colleagues. If you want to say thank you, please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're feeling extra generous, kindly leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way for others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thank you to Mary Salden for creating the artwork and design. Thanks to 42 Agency for sponsoring this episode. And of course, thank you for listening and tuning in. Well, that's all for now. This is your host, Ramley John. Until the next episode, have a powered up day. Bye. Marketing Power Ups. Until the next episode.